0: So we're continuing the series called The Church in the City. We see that uh, the Corinthian church is uh, is facing a lot of issues and they write to Paul and Paul is addressing some of these issues in the Corinthian church. In the first two chapters, uh, Paul is kind of laying a foundation uh, as he begins to address these issues in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 3 and chapter 4, Paul is addressing some of the divisions in the Corinthian church. Uh, They say, I belong to Paul, I belong to Cephas, I belong to Apollos. And so Paul is uh, kind of dealing with some of their pride. uh, And even uh, there is division because they are not able to deal with some of the uh, issues within the church. There are people having lawsuits in the church. So he's uh, dealing with some of those aspects. In chapter 6 and chapter 7, he's going to uh, deal with some sexual practices, marriage and singleness. Now, the Corinthian society is highly sexualized, highly promiscuous. Uh, and uh, historians say there were roughly a thousand prostitutes uh, in that time, which is very common. There is a word they use in the Corinthian city called Corinthianized, right? Which means uh, you, uh, a person who is Corinthianized means they are basically involving sexually deviant practices. And because Corinthian, uh, the uh, the city of Corinth is such a central hub for trade and commerce and uh, influence and uh, philosophy. So you had people from all kinds of backgrounds coming there. It was... uh, Materially prosperous, but sexually promiscuous. And we see that some of, the inf- some of the practices in the city is now creeping into the church. And that's why Paul addressed one of the issues previously, that a man was sleeping with his father's wife, not his own mother, but his uh, stepmother. And so even in the church, people are kind of reflecting some of the practices in the, in the city itself. So today we're going we're gonna to talk about how do we glorify God with our body? How do we worship and glorify God with our body? So I'm gonna jump into the passage. The first thing we're gonna talk about is the cultural view of body and sex. What What is the view in culture, in the world? What is the cultural predominant view of our body and sex? Verse 12, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 12. This is what they're saying. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. Now, if you, you notice that there are these phrases in quotes, right? And, and I'm going to introduce a, something here which you find in different places in the, in the, in the epistle to the Corinthians, which are called Corinthian slogans. These are statements the Corinthians use in their day-to-day life, especially in the church. Right? So it's, it's mentioned in quotes. So this is not what the Bible is saying. This is what the Corinthians always say. And Paul is actually countering these statements by saying something else. Okay? So we need to really understand uh, this context when it comes to the, the episode of the Corinthians, right? So uh, there, there are three Corinthian slogans here. First slogan is, all things are lawful for me. And then Paul says, yes, it's true. All things are lawful for you because you are free in Christ. You are not under the law. We are, we are not legalistic. Right? All things are permissible. You have freedom. All things are lawful. But, Paul says, not all things are helpful. Not all things are beneficial. Right? Not all things are profitable. Not all things are good. Okay? And then, and then there is a, a same phrase. They say, all things are lawful for me. But Paul says, yes, but I will not be dominated by anything. I will not let anything master over me. I will not be enslaved by anything. So yes, we are free in Christ. Yes, we are not under the law. But we need to understand God wants us to walk with wisdom. Because just because we are free in Christ, not everything is helpful and beneficial. And in fact, there are some things that you can be enslaved to. It it, it can uh, do with anything, right? The Bible doesn't explicitly talk about food or hobbies or habits or how you spend money or what you watch or uh, how long you sleep. No, the Bible doesn't tell us we are not under any law here. But God calls us to walk in wisdom. And this is what uh, the Corinthians are doing. They 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 are using their freedom in Christ. And Paul says, you cannot use your freedom in Christ as an excuse for sinful behavior. Christ did not set us free to fall back into sin. That is not why Christ died on the cross. So Paul is saying, yes, all things are lawful, but not everything is helpful. In fact, some things can be enslaving you. And then Paul says, Yes, you're free in Christ, but does not mean you can engage in behavior that is foolish or that leads to enslavement. So, this is kind of the background for the statements. And they're using these statements and their freedom in Christ. And and the Corinthians are justifying sinful sexual practices. They're saying, Because I'm free in Christ, I can do whatever with my body. Okay, that's why Paul uh, brings up another statement, verse 13. And this is their statement. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for the food. And the court needs to continue, right? These quotes are man-made quotes, right? It's not, it's not part of the Greek text, right? These are English translations and the quote has to come after this. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. And God will destroy both one and the other. This is what they say. Well, food is like, it's an appetite, right? Stomach needs food, so you can eat food anytime. So food is for the stomach. The stomach is for the food. And God is going to one day destroy both food and the stomach. In some way, it is true. What it means is, uh, today, our relationship with food is going to be very different from our relationship with food in the new heavens and new earth. Today, you eat some food, you may fall sick, it may cause some uh, uh, syndrome, deli belly, uh, you, you may, it may cause uh, uh, whatever, all kinds of health issues, and you may not digest the food. Or, but in the new heavens and new earth, our relationship with food will be very different. right? But they're using this statement, and they are actually translating it. To body and sex. They're saying just like food is for stomach, the body is for sex. It's an appetite. And so Paul says, no, the, in verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. For the Lord. And the Lord for the body. So in the, in the Corinthians' mind, as much as they were in the church, as much as they were reading scripture, they were following Christ, but in their mind, they're being influenced by the culture. So in their mind, sex is an appetite, just like food. So, so if, you, if you're hungry, you can eat anything anytime to fill your hunger. And just like that, sex is an appetite. If you have the need for it, you do it anywhere, anytime, with anyone. And just like God is going to destroy the food and stomach, God will want to destroy the body. So for them in their mind, it is not just an appetite. In their mind, the body does not matter. Only the spirit matters. Right. So what you do with your body, it doesn't matter. And, and also, as you think about it, in the, in the Greek philosophy, there is a difference between the mind and the body. The, the, mind was looked, the, the mind was what engaged with philosophy and what was associated with God. But the body was something that was dirty. The body was something that was pulling them back. So they kind of separated the mind and the body. So some of this, some of this contributed to the way they were thinking about their body and sex. So in their mind, they, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. But Paul says, no, God cares. God cares about your body because your body is not yours. Your body belongs to the Lord and the Lord for the body. The, the Bible has a high view of your body. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord's. And the Lord gave, Jesus gave his body to redeem your body. It matters. It matters. And I know uh, young people today, sometimes we, we hate uh, we, we, end up, we, we grow up hating our body. We feel like we are ugly. We feel like we're not good looking. And sometimes there's confusion about even our body and our gender and our sexuality. But my friend, God gives dignity and honor to your body. Your gender and sexuality matters to God. There might be confusion in society. There is no confusion in the eyes of God. He created you male and female after his own image. So my friend, when, you're, when we are confused, we don't listen to culture to clear the confusion. We listen to scripture to clear our confusion. You come to scripture. There is nothing wrong in being confused. Culture and the world is confusing. All of us, you come back to the Bible. So sex is not just physical. It is not just an appetite. It is much more than that. Now, this is not just in the Corinthian time. We see this even today. Even today. This is prevalent, right? And there's a quote from Sadhguru. Sadhguru, if you're not uh, familiar with him, he's a religious philosopher in India, very famous, very prominent, uh, very popular all over the world. This is his quote. He says, sex in the body is fine. Money in the pocket is fine. They only become a problem if it enters your mind. You see the dualism? You see the dualism? popular. Sex in the body is fine. Money in your pocket is fine. Oh, the, it, it, you, it doesn't matter what you do with your money. It doesn't matter what you do with your body, as long as it doesn't influence your mind. My friend, the Bible is completely different. The Bible says it will impact your mind and your whole being. So in the culture, when you listen to culture, and you, you won't miss this, in the culture, sex is casual. Casual. It's physical. It's an appetite. Help me out here. Netflix and? No, no it's okay. <laughs> it's okay, I, I also know this. <laughs> Don't be nervous. Netflix and? Friends with? Yeah, yeah, we know all this. We know all this. Right? We know all this. Live in? Yeah, we know all this. It's casual, it's casual. You look at any sitcom, any sitcom. Tell me a sitcom, what are you watching? Florence Florence, what Korean drama are you watching? <laughs> huh? Any, you tell me any what is your favorite sitcom? what is, your, how, I what is how I Met Your Mother. How I met, <laughs> how I met Your Mother. Right? Friends. Right? What are the uh, famous sitcoms? What are some things we are laughing at? What are, what are the other sitcoms? Huh? What is that? Big Bang Theory, right? Sex is... sorry? Office. office. (laughs) I I like office. (laughs) Office, they are moving towards marriage. (laughs) Sex is casual. It's casual. It's just physical. All over the world. This is what we are inundated with, this is what we are indoctrinated with. It is just physical. In fact, uh, it is seen as an expression of my love. It is love. You can't control love. You can't control who I love. I can love anyone. I can love any time. I can love any, uh, any person, any number of people, any gender. So they are saying this love and sex is an expression of this love. How dare you tell who I can love? Uh, to, today it has, become, it has become central to our identity. Our sexual practices define who we are. It has become central to our happiness. Oh, I'm not happy. Why? Because I'm not engaging in sexual relations. It is central to our happiness. How dare you tell me who I can sleep with? Doesn't God want me to be happy? My friend, the biblical view is completely contrary to the world. Completely contrary. And sometimes when you present the biblical view, it is seen as intolerant, it is seen as narrow. It is seen as old-fashioned, restrictive and even unloving sometimes. While in the culture, sex is casual, in the church, sex is very crude. It's dirty. We don't talk about it. Hush, hush. Oh, don't, let's, don't use the word, right? You're all we are too spiritual to talk about these things. We don't preach about it, we make it sound dirty, or if it's sensational, we sneer at it, we joke at it. We go to the other extreme, we go to the other extreme where we, uh, uh, where we even believe, even in the church, we believe in what we call, sexual prosperity theology. You remember the purity rings? You remember the purity, huh? Jonas, Jonas Bros, (laughs) Jonas Brothers, you remember those things? Right? It is subscribing to a sexual prosperity theology. What that is, is people think if, I, if I'm holy as a single person, if I live in a way that honors my body, then God will give me a great marriage. Then I will marry somebody and I'll have a great marriage and, the, and my life partner will be so great. No, that is not true. That is not why you lead a holy life, because God will give you something in the future. You will you are setting yourself for a lifetime of disappointment and failure. In fact, the person who Joshua Harris, who actually wrote about it, he wrote a book and was a was a bestseller, is no longer a Christian. It is not the gospel. And sometimes in the church, we don't talk about these things. We feel we feel ashamed because of our sexual sin. We feel condemned and judged. We feel guilty and shame. And so we carry the burden of our sexual sins and we don't know who to share with. My friend, I I want New City to be be a culture where we can talk about it. As a pastor, I am never surprised. I tell my kids all the time. I tell my kids all the time. I tell them, nothing you do will surprise me. It's not going to surprise me. I tell my friend, nothing, nothing, you come and share, nothing is going to surprise me because I know how capable of sin I am. I know how capable of sin we are and we all need a savior and Jesus is our true savior. And we are not going to flourish, you are not going to flourish by hiding your sexual sins. And God invites us to bring it to light, to flourish and to heal and to experience his forgiveness. So some are feeling condemned and judged and some, some in the church, maybe even justifying the sinful behavior like the Corinthian, saying, I am free in Christ so I can do whatever I want. So my friend, sex is not just physical. It is not just casual. Can you, can you listen? Do you, are you listening? Let me, tell, let me tell you why. Because if it is just physical and just casual, why is rape so damaging psychologically and emotionally than any other violence? Why? Why is somebody who is a child who is sexually abused, they cannot shake it off even after years and years into their adulthood? Why? If it's just physical. It's not just physical. Why is adultery the end of a marriage? Why can't you just move on? Why can't you just shake it off? Yeah, People, couples rarely get over adultery. Why? Because it is not just physical. It is not casual. Why are our deepest, oh, our deepest regrets and our deepest hurts and our deepest shame and guilt related to sexual sins? So my friend, do not believe the lie that the culture throws at you, saying it is casual and it is physical. And you can do whatever with your body. No, your body does not belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. Let's look at what the Bible has to say. Let's look at the biblical view of body and sex the bible has a high view of your body my friends it has a high view of sex it is not crude it is not casual and physical it is something that is good it is a gift from god and it is a glorious thing it is beautiful and powerful and just like anything that is beautiful and powerful we are called to protect it you cannot be casual right you can you can go to visit some of these great uh uh paintings and art uh, what do you call these art, uh, not laboratories, what are these called? <laughs> galleries, thank you. I'm like, art laboratories doesn't sound good. right? Art galleries, and it's expensive, right here, right here, right in Hoscas Village. Right? Expensive paintings, and they make you stand, right? Especially us as Indians, they're like, please don't, don't get your samosa hand and all this. Stand <laughs> out, stand a little far away. Why? It is ex- if it is expensive, it is beautiful, you protect it. And God gives certain parameters. God helps us understand. Because it is, it is not just beautiful, because it is powerful. Verse 13, look at verse 13. He says, body is not meant for sexual immorality. Verse 16, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. So here, here are a quick three observations. First, first is Sex is glorious and it is a gift from God that is to be experienced and enjoyed within covenantal marriage between man and woman. That's the first observation. How do we know this? The word sexual immorality, right? It keeps repeating again and again. The word sexual immorality uh, means uh, the Greek word is porneia. That's where we get the word pornography from right? But, but it is not limited to pornography, right? That's one of the subsets. The word sexual immorality the word pornaya, uh, talks about any kind of sexual practice or habit that is outside of marriage between a man and a woman. That is what the word means. So, so Paul uses that word. Paul can use other words, but Paul uses this word to help us understand God's boundaries for this. Uh, sex is uh, given As a gift for a man and a woman in a committed relationship of marriage in a covenant relationship. So because God sets the boundary, because God decides what is immoral, anything outside of this is sexually immoral behavior. Any habit or practice that is outside of a covenantal marriage between a man and a woman is considered sexually immoral in scripture. So, premarital sex and extramarital sex and homosexual behavior—it is not God's design and intent. It's a perversion of God's good and gracious and beautiful and powerful gift. So, we see the first boundary. The second—the uh, second is uh, sex involves the whole person. It involves the whole person. In Scripture, when the Bible uses the word body and flesh, right? It is not talking about physical body. It's not talking about tissues and muscles and. Your bones, it's not talking about, it is talking about the whole person, the flesh, the whole person. Verse 16. Verse 16, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, right, it's amazing, right? He says one body with her, and then he says, for as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Right? He keeps, he keeps using this one language. He's alluding to what happens in Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So he's talking about the marriage. So what Paul is saying is, hey, you, yes, when you join yourself with a prostitute, you think you become one body with her, but it is not just two bodies. It's not just body parts joining together. No, it is actually one flesh. It is, it is joining of a whole person. And ultimately he says, no, God's ultimate design for you is not this one flesh. It is that you will be one spirit with him. Oh, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. That's why marriage, Paul says, is a mystery. Because it refers to Christ and the church. So my friends, in scripture, God has made male and female, in his image, two genders. And marriages between a man and a woman who leave their father and mother and cleave to each other as one flesh. It involves the whole person. It involves a whole person You, you cannot say, I, I will give you my body But then it doesn't matter I can hold back my emotions and I can hold back my No, the, the flesh involves both the material and immaterial it, 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 it involves both your body and spirit It involves your physical body and emotional, psychological and mental being you can't, you can't say I'll be physically naked and vulnerable to somebody but not be vulnerable and naked with them in my heart and emotions and mind and soul. You, you cannot say you can have sex in your body uh, as long as it is not in your mind. You cannot. You cannot separate the body and spirit. It is foolish to think like that. It is dangerous to think like that. It involves a whole person. It involves a whole person. The third observation here is that it involves a radical self-giving. Sex involves a radical self-giving. It is designed by God to give yourself entirely to the person to whom you belong. Oh, you give yourself entirely. It's a picture of the gospel. You give yourself entirely. You cannot give your body and say, no, I'm going to keep my money. I'm going to keep my heart. Oh, you can have my body, but I'm going to keep my finances. I'm going to keep my social status. I'm going to keep all the... You cannot. That is not why it's designed. It is impossible to do that. It is, going to, it is going to result in damage and destruction. God has designed sex in a way for you to give yourself fully to one person in marriage. God has designed sex in a way that you give yourself fully to a person who complements you, meaning another gender. This is God's design. And... And listen, only in this radical self-giving, only in this radical self-giving, when you give your whole person, only in this radical self-giving of the whole person between a man and a woman in a covenantal marriage that sex results in deep personal transformation, satisfaction, and completion. You're tracking me? See, this is what culture will tell you. Culture will say, the culture says... The culture will, give, will say, give your body, but keep your money. The Bible is completely opposite. The Bible says, give your money away, keep your body, keep your body. Listen to, listen to what Scripture says. The, the, culture will say, the, the culture will say, share your bed with a stranger, uh, but, but they won't share their table with others. The Bible is opposite. The Bible says, share your table with a stranger with hospitality, but don't share your bed with a stranger. My friend, sex is glorious. It's a glorious gift. It's not the ultimate gift. It is a glorious and a powerful gift and a beautiful gift within marriage. I also want to note some of these things, right? As we think about this, God does not hate homosexuals as much as the culture thinks God hates them. God does not hate. And if you're struggling with these, you decide God does not hate you. It is not the chief sin above all. And I want us to hear this because the church sometimes elevates the sin as these sin. No, my friends, in scripture you see it is listed with any other sin. Verse 9, look at verse 9. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Who are they? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers inherit the kingdom of God. If you're sitting here and thinking, no, I'm I'm not sexually immoral, so you're fine. No, my friends, watch out. Do not be deceived. And we talked about this in the previous sermon. When we make money, sex, and power as central to our treasure, oh, when it begins to define who we are, and these are all people who've made money, sex, and power as central to the treasure, and God says, if you made this your treasure, you cannot inherit this great treasure from God. Because you've already chosen your treasure. And my friend, today, if you're struggling with any kind of sexual sin, any sexual habit, there is hope in the gospel for you. Oh, there is grace. There is lavish grace and forgiveness for you in Christ. You don't have to feel condemned and guilty. Jesus died for you. And that's why in verse 11, it says, it gives this list. And it says to the people in the church, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. Oh, my friend, your sexual sin and struggle does not stop you from accessing the grace of Christ. Oh, you come to Jesus and you can repent and receive mercy and forgiveness. But in terms of sexual immorality, scripture says don't experiment it, don't flirt with it, don't try to just kind of think you will get up, don't try and go as close to the line as possible so that you're not crossing. No, do do not. The, the, The word from scripture, God says, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Run from it. And he says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. It's tough to understand that. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body, meaning sexual sin is a sin against your whole person. So, my friends, sexual recklessness seems like freedom, seems like fun, but it leads to, oh, it leads to harm and damage and even death emotionally, psychologically, and sometimes physically. We see the cultural view. We see the biblical view. And lastly, My friend, the gospel is good news for your body. The gospel is good news for your body. Let's see what scripture says, verse 13. Verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. My friend, your body is not for sex. Your body belongs to the Lord and the Lord belongs to your body, meaning he gave his body to die on the cross he shed his blood he gave all of himself the whole of his being to redeem your body your body matters to him it matters to god verse 15 it says do you not know that your bodies are members of christ your bodies your whole being it's a member of the body of christ shall i then take the members of christ that is your body, shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Never, my friends. How can we who are joined as a member of Christ's body, how can we join our body in a sexually immoral behavior and a practice? How can we who are joined to Christ as members of his body because of what he has done on the cross and because of our faith and the grace we have received, how can we take this body and make it join with another member who is not a member of Christ? This is why scripture assumes you marry people who believe in Jesus. Verse 19, verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Oh, my friend, he, Paul talks about marriage as a mystery. And he says it is a picture of a relationship between Christ and the church. It is a a mystery. Jesus, it it, it is a picture of the gospel. Sex in some way is is a faint, but a sure foretaste of the all-giving Savior and the all-giving gospel. Uh, It is is a foretaste of this mysterious union. We don't know what that is. It is a foretaste of this mysterious spiritual union with Christ forever. And God has given that beautiful experience to be experienced and enjoyed in marriage between a man and a woman in a committed relationship. How dare we trifle with it? How dare we take it lightly? My friend, your body matters. It matters so much to God it matters so much to God. Verse 19, it says, Do you not know that your body, the body that sometimes we hate, the body sometimes we abuse, the body sometimes we think it's ugly, the body we think we wish we had another body, or whatever that is, the body that is confused, Do you, it is so precious. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? God has actually placed His Spirit inside this body. That is how much precious it is to Him. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. Jesus did not hold back anything. So my friends, in some way, sex is a a foretaste. It is a picture of the gospel where you don't hold back anything with the person you love, with the person you belong because Jesus never held back anything. He gave all of himself for our sake. So my friends, this morning, if you are justifying sexual immorality, will you come and repent before Christ? If you are feeling condemned and guilty and filled with shame because of sexual sins, would you come and run into the arms of your Savior who is filled with forgiveness and mercy? If you are struggling with sexual habit or sin, will you let Jesus become your true lover, the one who can ultimately satisfy you? Will your heart all rejoice in Him and delight in Him because that is the only way or oh, you will be overcome by a greater love that will set you free from sexual temptation. Will you choose to glorify God with your body for your Savior bled and died to redeem you? Let's pray. Father, this morning we confess our sins. We confess how casual we are. We confess how we are quick to judge others. We confess how we pretend and we hide. Father, I pray that you will set us free. I pray that we will find grace in your community. I pray that the gospel will shine its light in our hearts. I pray for those who are confused. pray for those who are struggling. Oh, may the truth of God set them free. Help us, Lord. I thank you because our body belongs to you. And you have bought it with the precious blood of Jesus. I thank you because this body, oh, that we struggle with, that is full of all these desires, Oh, that is at war in us, to not obey you, to not please you, this body will be raised one day, blameless and glorious. We long for that day, Jesus. We long for your coming. We long for the day that all our longings will be fulfilled in you. Oh, we long for that day we can run into your arms and feel safe and secure for eternity. Come, Lord Jesus, come.